John chapter number 18. The Lord's laid it upon my heart to go through some of the events that took place leading up to the crucifixion. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of start in the middle and look at a few things. We're going to start in John chapter number 18. Is everybody there? John chapter number 18, we'll, we'll read the first three verses to get us started. It said, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook to Cherdon, where was a garden unto which he entered and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. So we're seeing what's happening here. This is the, the beginning of the end, if you will, or the beginning of the end of the beginning, or the new beginning, for Jesus' ministry. And he says that he went forth. said when he had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples. This is an important thing because it shows the, the purposefulness of Jesus Christ, but knowing that Jesus knew what was going to take place, he still continued to move forward. One of the things I tell people, they'll ask me at the hospital, how am I feeling today or how am I doing today? I work at the hospital, I'm not a patient there. And I'll, they'll ask me and I'll say, well, I'm upright and I'm moving forward. And that's been my answer for a number of years. Because I, I, that's, a, that's a plus for me. I'm upright. I'm moving forward. That's a good thing. It beats the alternative, sitting in bed or not being able to get up and move around. So that's a good thing. And, and in essence, that's what Jesus is doing here is he's moving forward. He knows what's coming. He, he knows better than anybody what's coming because he's already foreseen it, because he's already living it. He knows that what's about to take place. He knows the hour of his crucifixion is very, very near. He knows that he's about to go forward and be arrested and be tortured, to be falsely accused, to be mocked, to be scourged, to be nailed to the cross and left to die. The most unimaginable torture lays before him, and yet he went forth. For the first time in all of eternity, he's going to be separated. As one of the Godhead, he's going to be separated for a time from the Father. As he takes the sins of the world upon him, the Father is going to turn his back upon the Son because he can't bear to see his Son with the sins. If that's not bad enough, he has to bear our sins. One that knew, knew no sin now has to take the sin of the entire world upon him. He has to take the sin upon him, the, the weight of the sin, the, the, the repercussions of the sin, the damage of the sin, all these things he has to take, and he has to take those things upon him. I think sometimes we get used to carrying our sins around. Jesus has never experienced that, but he's about to do so. He also went forth to set the scene. He went forth to set the place where he knew these things were going to take place. You notice he picked the garden that he'd gone to before. He picked a place where he knew Judas would know where he would be. He was making it very easy for Judas to betray him. He was making it very easy for him to get the soldiers in the right place at the right time. This overwhelming force that's about to show up. You know, oftentimes when we see it in the movies, it's, you know, like five or six guys that show up. 
But understand what a band of soldiers or a band of temple police would have been. Uh, the description we have, many, most scholars believe it was well over 100 men came to arrest him. Some put that numbers as high as two or 300 to arrest one man. One man who never attacked or hurt anyone. One man who did miracles, who healed people, who fed people. And this huge band of soldiers, armed soldiers, is coming to arrest him. And Jesus knew all this. He knew all these things was going to take place. What a beautiful example for us. What a beautiful example for us to be dedicated to God's will. You know, we get worried sometimes because we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. We don't know if we take a stand at work for Christ today, what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if we take a stand for Christ at school today, what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if we take a stand with our family and our friends, what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus knew what was going to happen tomorrow. And in spite of that, in spite of it being worse than anything that you will ever face tomorrow, he still went forward. This wasn't an unusual occurrence for him to be able to go off by himself and, and to pray. This was something that he did quite often. Matthew 14, 23 says, When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So going into the garden with a few of his disciples or going into the garden alone was not an unusual thing for him. This is something that Judas would have known. This is something that would have set the stage easily for his capture. He wasn't running. He wasn't hiding. He was putting himself in the position to make it the easiest possible for the scripture to be fulfilled. Verse number four. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So we see Jesus is there and this, this group of men, this hundreds of men come before him and Judas is with them and, and, and there's, he asks them, who are you looking for? He knows who they're looking for. And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he spoke three words. I am he. This I am he, if we know, if you know your studies from the Old Testament and into the New Testament, this is a, a phrase, that phrase I am is a phrase that Jesus used quite often to declare his deity. One of the primary reasons why he was being arrested right now, other than all the lies, was the fact that he claimed to be God. And since he claimed to be God, that was blasphemy. And when they said, we're, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. I am he. He declared it again in front of the entire throng of people, knowing that they were there to arrest him. He made that courageous confession, I am. What a dynamic example for us. Again, an example, not, of us, not for us just to go forth, but to go forth when we know persecution is about to take place. When the will of God is known to us, we can stand courageously before any throng of men. When the will of God is known to, to us, we can stand before any type of persecution and we can declare, I am his. And he has sent me. 
We see this boldness in people that throughout the word of God that normally wouldn't have boldness. We see this in Moses when he stands before uh, the Pharaoh. He stands there and, and, and proclaims boldly, let my people go. Knowing that there was going to be repercussions. We see this boldness throughout history when, when men like, like uh, David and others would stand before um, armies that were stronger than them and bigger than them and they would stand as the children of, of Israel. We see it when David walks out onto the, onto the battlefield before Goliath. Just a teen. A teen that's standing before a man of war, a giant of war. And demands his surrender. We see it in the fishermen that Jesus called. Men that, that were normally used to not speaking in front of people. Get up and boldly declare. Knowing that persecution was come. We see that boldness in one of the first two deacons. Stephen as he's preaching the word of God. And, and the throng comes upon him. And they begin to beat him with stones. As he's being beaten by stones. He continues to proclaim the word of God. We see that boldness in Paul as he, sits, as he stands before King Agrippa in chains to give an account and to, and to, to discuss and, and to make a, a, a defense towards his actions. But instead, instead of defending himself, he proclaimed Jesus Christ to King Agrippa and prayed that King Agrippa would accept Christ. We see this boldness over and over and over. The example that Jesus set was the example that they followed. And then there's the miraculous blast of power when Jesus Christ declares that he is I am. This throng of men is pushed backwards declaring once again that, that they weren't actually there to take him. He was giving himself. So there could be no mistake as to what was taking place. Jesus Christ wasn't being arrested against his will he was going to be arrested by his will. By the plan the Father laid out before any of those men standing before him were ever born. Before their parents were born. Before the world was created. The Father had a plan. And to make it clear that Jesus Christ was still in control, his words knocked the soldiers back. Just his words. Just three little words. Jesus is fulfilling scripture. John 10, 28 and 29, he says, and, and I gave unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Back in our text in chapter 18, verse number seven, it says, then he asked them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which spake, Of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. We see the power and the protection that as Christ knows that he's about to be crucified, his thoughts aren't for his well-being, his thoughts are for the well-being of his disciples. The disciples are in danger here. It would be easy for them to, to also be arrested. It would be easy for them to also be tortured. It would be easy for them to also 
be killed. But that's not the time. This wasn't about them. This was about Jesus. And Jesus' thoughts were for them. This should give us great hope as believers. It should give us great hope because knowing that that Christ uh, protected them in this time of no protection, he will also protect us. And when we were standing in his will and we're doing what we're told to do, that God has a plan, he will protect us. Nobody will pluck us out of the Father's hand. It's not possible. There are many that will say that that we can pluck ourselves out of our Father's hand, but, but we are men. We don't have the power and the ability to override the will of God. When we are placed in his hand, when we accept Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ, we are placed in the Father's hand. We're placed in the Son's hand and in the Father's hand, and we're encompassed about by the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity keep us secure. There's no way we get out of that. You may not like your earthly parents. You may not like your earthly mother. But you cannot be unborn from her. Even killing yourself or being killed or killing her does not make you unborn. And we cannot be unborn again. Protection that Christ provides for us. He is going to die to protect all mankind. But in the interim, he is protecting his individual disciples. Making sure that they are kept safe. That's the picture of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Back in our text, John chapter 18, verse number 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then Jesus And then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? So we see Peter, we you know, you gotta love Peter. Peter is so much like us. Peter has been with Christ since very early on. He was one of the first to be called. And he's heard him speak. He's seen the miracles repeatedly. And yet Peter is so much like us that he desires, instead of what Christ says, he desires his own will. Peter is still under the impression that Jesus Christ has come to overthrow the Roman government, to set up an earthly kingdom, even though Christ has told him over and over and over, this isn't about an earthly kingdom, this is about a heavenly kingdom. And yet Peter, when he's faced with adversity, he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to the sword. And he pulls the sword and cuts off the ear. Peter's mind that the the Messiah had come for that earthly conquest. He was ready to free Israel. He was ready to reestablish the the throne and the kingdom of David. Peter won't get it for a little bit longer took his sword and cut off the ear. The picture that Peter paints for us is that of carnal commitment. It's where most Christians live today, by the way. It's the kind of commitment that acts and struggles in the flesh. 
It's the, it's the act, the commitment of the acts that, that, that what we see is what the reality is. It ignores the spiritual. It's how most Christians live today. You don't believe it. Go on Facebook. You go on Facebook and you see Christians, people that claim to be Christian, but they're living carnally. They're worried about carnal things. They're fighting carnal battles. When the Bible is very clear that, that we don't fight the flesh. We're going to be in spiritual battles. A lot of talk right now about the election and about transforming this country. There's a lot of things I know about the election, a lot of things I don't know about the election. I don't know who will be president in January. I know we'll be president on January 1st, but not much longer after that. You know, we just don't know. We don't know who will be president. We don't know whose policies will be implemented. We don't know what the effects of those policies will be. But we do know that Jesus Christ will still be on the throne. We do know that he will not be caught off guard or caught unsuspecting as to what takes place. And we do know that we are still now and then, no matter what happens through the elections, whether the, the presidential election or the local elections or, the, or the, the federal elections, it doesn't matter. What we do know is that God is still in control. And we do know that our battle is still a spiritual one. Peter was willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ in the flesh. And today we see Christians that are willing to stand up in the flesh and make a stand for Jesus. They'll call themselves Christians. They'll put fish on the back of their car. They'll tattoo it on their bodies. They'll do all these things to, de to declare fleshly that they are Christians. But when was the last time they got on their knees and prayed? When was the last time they opened up their Bibles and read it? When was the last time they studied to show themselves approved? You see, these are the, these are the tools and the weapons of the spiritual battle. And Christians are real quick to, to fight the, the fleshly battle, to stand up against atrocities in this world. And not that we shouldn't stand up for atrocities in this world, but that should come from not from our fleshly side, but from our spiritual side. Our battles are won on our knees in prayer, not by pulling out a sword. Our battles are won by it through, through study and through prayer and through reading our Bibles. Our battles are won by allowing the love of Jesus Christ to flow through us into the world. Not by pulling the sword. Peter was willing to take a stand. Peter was willing to die. Think about it. There's a hundred armed soldiers and Peter, the fisherman, is going to fight them all? The world would say he's brave. And what a stand he took. Jesus saw his disobedience. Jesus saw that he wasn't, he wasn't brave, he was being disobedient. You see, the problem with fighting the battle in the flesh is the battle in the flesh is a temporary battle. Not the fact that just because the flesh will, will be done with the flesh at some point, but that the, the battle of the flesh is easily lost. For those of you that know the life of Peter, we know that very, very soon, within hours, he goes from pulling a sword to defend Jesus, to denying he ever knew him. See, when we fight the earthly battle, we fight the fleshly battle, we are, we are controlled by fleshly things. We're controlled by our fatigue. We're controlled by, 
by our earthly limitations. We're controlled by the situations around us. Don't you find it amazing that Peter was willing to stand against an armed throng of men, but against citizens? He feared and denied Jesus? When we live in the flesh, we die in the flesh. When Peter took a stand for Jesus in the flesh, he failed. It deserted Jesus. When we act in the flesh, it always results in us failing and deserting Jesus. Romans 8, 5-6 through 6 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Peter misunderstood the word of the Lord. First, Peter thought that Jesus was here to establish an earthly kingdom. Second, he never truly accepted the word that he heard from Jesus Christ. Because if he had, he would have understood. Peter refused to give up his preconceived notions, his preconceived ideas. If we're to be successful for Christ in this world, we need to be less like Peter was here and more like Peter is later. Willing to stand up even when it doesn't make sense. Willing to sing when we're imprisoned. Willing to preach in season, out of season. We need to be more like Peter then and less like Peter is in John chapter 18. Because in John chapter 18, he's like more like us and not like Christ. We have choices that we need to make. We have choices to determine whether or not we're going to live like Christ or we're going to live like Peter. If we're going to live and fight the spiritual battle, if we're going to live and fight the earthly battle. The earthly battle may seem like we make more headway in the short term, but the earthly battle is always lost because the earth will be lost. Part of our study in the book of Revelation is to help us to, to see the things that are at our doorstep. People, say, people keep talking about, and I see, I see people that normally aren't involved in the Word of God at all or involved in end times at all, and they, they've been asking me, do you think we're really standing in the end of days? I said, I think we're in the end of hours. I think days is too big of a, of a time period to count right now. We can't count years anymore. We can't count decades anymore. We need to count hours. Because the things we see transpiring, not just in this world, but around this world, through the acts of men and the acts of nature, everything is screaming the return of Jesus Christ for his church. You have to be living completely in the flesh like Peter and ignoring everything and just living in your preconceived notions as to how things are supposed to be in order not to see it. The world will try and blame the increased earthquakes and the increased hurricanes and the increased fires. They'll try and blame all those things on, on man, global warming. To think that man has that kind of an impact on God's creation. It's less about global warming and more about the wrath of God. There's going to come a time when the wrath of God is going to be pulled, poured fully out upon this earth. There will be a, a point in time when Satan will no longer be restrained and his desire to destroy this creation will be, see, will be fulfilled. That's what we're studying in the book of Revelation. 
Those are all spiritual battles. We can't lose sight of the fact, no matter what the other side does or what our side does, or, or even if we're, we're taking sides, we can't lose sight of the fact that we are not in a physical battle. When we stand up and hurt other people, no matter how we've judged them to, to be unworthy or how we've judged them to be a threat, when we stand up and we begin to hurt other people in the name of God, We've lost sight of everything this Bible's about. We've lost sight of why Jesus Christ died. We are not fighting a physical battle. We are not fighting a fleshly battle. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And our victory comes not in swords, but through prayer and supplication. I pray that each person today will make that commitment. Make the commitment to stand in the will of God. To stand in the will of God and do the will of God no matter what the fear is that stands before us because knowing that God is more powerful than anything that could possibly come at us from this world. But secondly, to recognize the fact that we don't fight a physical battle, we fight a spiritual battle. If we can get more Christians on their knees praying humbly. Not just the, the stock rehearsed written prayers, but truly have heartfelt confession before God. Bible tells us if we want to see our lands healed, there's some things we need to do. And it starts with humbling ourselves. It's a lot harder than it sounds. But we have to humble ourselves before God. We have to, we have to turn from our wicked ways. We have to set aside all those fleshly things. We turn from our wicked ways, we turn to Him and we seek after His face. We start seeing the world the way he sees the world. We start hearing the world the way he hears the world. We seek after his face. We, we want to know every word that drips from his lips. We want to be right in his face. Not the other side of the stadium. We want to have front row seats. That has to be our desire. And we begin to do those things we'll begin to see healing in our country. We'll begin to see healing in our land. We'll begin to win the spiritual battle.